0: Good day, and welcome to The Pandemic Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. Dave transcends time and space to talk with Michael Leung in Peterborough, Ontario. Michael shares how he is concerned about how people will readjust after the pandemic has run its course. He expects the variant strain numbers to increase and take over the original virus In terms of infection rates, our communities are becoming petri dishes, where every new infection becomes an opportunity for a new variant which could potentially evade the vaccine. They discuss the potential impacts of vaccine inequity. Michael points out that if the vaccine works, the initial conditions that cause the vaccine are still there. Michael and Dave discuss the economy and how market conditions favor the large operator despite the fact that the virus spreads best when people congregate in large numbers. Dave shares his outrage that long-term care providers transferred public wealth to the private sector when given government money to protect our seniors from the deadly pandemic.
1: Michael, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? Not bad. Doing well. Could you tell us what was your life like in the before times, before the pandemic spread and changed
2: life? I was working as an industrial engineer. I had some site visits. Maybe every couple months, I'd go to a customer site to do an inspection or maintenance or commissioning. So that has really dropped since COVID. We've been working at home for maybe 90% of the time. And it was just seeing a lot fewer people, a lot fewer family gatherings, that sort of thing. So
1: your work's changed in the sense that before you would go out and do site visits and be working in the office, and now you're mainly working remotely. Yep, that's right. So the pandemic really has changed
2: your life. Yeah, yeah. The daily schedule is very different.
1: What are some of the changes that you've noticed?
2: So a lot fewer restaurant meals, uh, a lot fewer trips, like driving out to see people or even like day-to-day driving to work. The traffic has really cut down here. Yeah, those are, I guess, the most visible signs, like the uh, travel and the meal situation. Are you still doing lots of takeout? No, not so much. A lot of uh, cooking at home or heating up meals at home. Yeah. My family, my dad and sister are in Toronto and her husband and the new uh, baby. So she's one year old and just learning how to walk. That's oh, really congratulations! Cool. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's exciting. How do you think the pandemic has impacted family with young children?
2: I'm a bit worried about how they are going to readjust after the pandemic. Like they're like right now, they're really limited on how many people they see. And how many places they get to go have experiences. I don't think that's ever happened really in history. We haven't had like this global lockdown situation right now. It looks like it's going to be about two years now since it's taking time for the um, vaccines to roll out. So it's sort of an experiment on a whole generation of young people, like a toddler age when they are just forming their experiences and getting to understand the world. I feel like
1: like 2020 was a do-over year, and it looks like 2021 might be a do-over year. And we just got to get through it. And then I wonder if we'll get right into the roaring 20s.
2: Yeah, that's something to see. Like we're in the first week of March. This is just when the lockdown happened last year. And it seems like we're still in the same place and we haven't moved very much in the whole year.
1: And Peter Burrell, is it currently in a stay-at-home lockdown or are you in a, a different situation where you can go out and gather in limited numbers?
2: We're in uh, the red color right now. I think that means like very small groups. Yeah. So the distinctions between the the different like red, orange, yellow, I think it's just how the numbers work out in, in isolating and separating in gathering situations.
1: What type of COVID is going through Peterborough right now? Is it one of the variants or is it the original strain? I
2: think it's a mix. So the variants have been detected here in Peterborough, but in smaller numbers, than the original strain. I'm expecting those to come up like in proportion. They're probably gonna take over as the main strain pretty soon.
1: What do you think will be the result of these variants?
2: Right now we have so many cases of variants that it's almost like a a Petri dish that every infected person is a potential to form a new variant. It looks likely that we're gonna have a variant that's gonna be able to evade the vaccines right now. I don't think we see evidence that we can outpace the virus's mutation rate. Like our vac- vaccines are are trailing in research speed for uh, compared to how quickly the virus can mutate and find its way to a uh, fitter form. So that's really worrying.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like we're in a race with mutations. Yeah, for sure. My understanding is some mutations can be not really matter much. But some mutations are making it more communicable. I'm not sure if there's mutations that are making it more deadly or more harmful to our health. Do you have any insights on that?
2: I think I've seen the South African and the Brazilian strain being able to better evade the vaccine effects. But the the research is still ongoing on those.
1: In terms of the
2: vaccines,
1: my understanding is that Like you said, the South African and the Brazil variants might not be stopped by our vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I worry about, it seems like the U.S. is going to be vaccinated, vaccinated 300 million people rather quickly, maybe by June. But so many places of the world won't be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. My sense is that that could pose a problem, that inequity in vaccine distribution could pose a problem in the sense that a place where there are no vaccine access a mutation could come from there into areas that have been heavily vaccinated and start this whole problem over again.
2: Right, exactly. And even within the U.S., there's going to be a significant proportion of the population that aren't going to get the vaccine because of their own, I guess, feelings towards vaccines. So those people will still be at risk of an outbreak.
1: It's alarming that so many people are kind of revolting against the public health measures of physically distancing, wearing masks washing hands, it seems that if there would have been full buy-in the whole time, we could be further ahead in containing this virus to allow the vaccines to get ahead of it. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I think Trump had an opportunity to do that, and he sort of went the opposite direction. He'd been supporting from day one, then that would would have made the health officials' jobs a lot easier right now in uh, getting people to accept the vaccine.
1: And have there been many jurisdictions that you're aware of that have taken the approach, like the former president of the United States took?
2: No, I don't think so. There's... Was it Indonesia, I think, is sort of like on that track, and maybe Brazil. I'm not sure. They had a, a leader
1: similar to the to the United States, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, uh, didn't necessarily
1: buy into the science and to the precautionary principle of prevention.
2: Mm-hmm. But then again, the UK was sort of like that at the beginning until the the deaths got really high per day uh, and then they they have to just change strategies.
1: It seems like hospitals being overwhelmed has the power to change people's opinion to take the virus more seriously but outside of that there doesn't seem to be much change in some of those some of the anti I don't know if I should call them anti- maskers or anti-COVID mm-hmm. crowd.
2: Yeah, and I think Sweden was sort of in a similar situation. At first, they were sort of not masking as a preventative measure, and then they, they switched over. When I first started wearing masks,
1: you notice the difference, but it doesn't seem like that big of an inconvenience. And it seems like a small adaptation to be able to still have some quality of life and access to, you know, day-to-day commerce. But right. protecting yourself and trying to limit the spread of this deadly virus.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Once you get used to it, it it's, seems to be part of uh, your, your routine. Yeah.
1: I wonder at times if the spread of the virus is linked. There's lots of different reasons it's spreading. One of them is that people in lower socioeconomic statuses who are forced to work, aren't able to physically distance aren't able to physically distance effectively people that live in high density housing aren't able to physically distance effectively so there seems to be a class dynamic to the spread of the virus where low-income people forced to live in high density are catching it i'd say probably by no fault of their own and then we have the anti-mask anti-covid crowd which is taking no precautions which could be also a demographic that's spreading why do you think it continues to spread so insidiously
2: it seems to be reaching every corner of the globe. It's definitely more transmissible than your regular flu or or cold. Like with regular seasonal strains of those diseases, uh, you don't see them spread like to all countries on the earth within a matter of months. So there's that, and then you see. The effects that you were talking about, the social economic class divide, especially in Toronto, where they have areas of the city that have this virus going, like growing exponentially. So you could see really that matches up with where the land value are the lowest in the city.
1: That's an interesting correlation.
2: The east and west ends, Scarborough, Brampton, Peel, Peel. region.
1: Yeah. What changes have you seen from a community perspective where you live since COVID's, COVID's changed our lives? I
2: guess the, the shopping is kind of different. So like the standing in line um, outside grocery stores, that's a little different and took a bit of getting used to. The Home Depot situations on the weekends is pretty hectic. You can see like people are more on edge. Yeah, stuff like that
1: everything really seems to be ble- one day seems to just blend into the next mm-hmm. i know i've been getting i think at times pandemic brain fog where mm-hmm. things are just kind of cloudy and i just can't wait to get for the renewal of spring as we approach march 21st and the spring equinox i just look forward to the warming the outdoors getting warmer the buds forming, the summer birds coming back, and the ability to get outside and have a higher quality of life.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, camping would be great. I mean, you can. there's still lots of places uh, open for camping. Um, My understanding
1: in Ontario is that the campgrounds for the summer are booking up faster than ever before. And I guess it makes sense based on the situation we find ourselves in.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were, they were fast to begin with. Uh, I think those are like hotter than concert tickets. Uh,
1: What was the last, the last show or concert or sporting event you went to before the pandemic? Oh, I don't even remember. (laughs) Uh, Don't even remember. What do you think the world will be like after COVID? Do you think COVID Thomas Andrew in season one said COVID will run its course and then it will have run its course what do you think the aftertimes may look like?
2: So I guess this depends on whether we are successful in our current batch of vaccines. If that's successful, then it's a short enough period of time that we'll we'll bounce back pretty easily. But there's the risk if that happens, then the initial conditions that created the virus are still there, really. like There are still these uh, reservoirs of bat diseases in China that can reinfect like a new COVID-3 could come out and nothing is stopping that really except for just time and patience and with an increasing amount of habitat destruction and people
1: living in more and more of the few remaining wild places Mm -hmm. species transmission would we are led to believe is going to increase
2: yeah and, and bats fly around I mean they they're they're, they have great range. They forage for a variety of foods. So it's you need quite a distance of separation between bats and humans if you really wanted to you know, limit this cross-species transmission disease. And the industrial food chain seems to contribute
1: to You know, you got the avian flu, we've got the hog flu. I know there's a big breakout of the African hog flu in China before, before the COVID pandemic struck us. It's interesting to see what the industrial food chain, how it has so many strengths in the sense that we can provide food for so many people, but it also has some shortcomings as, you know, the animals are confined in smaller spaces.
2: They're not outside. They're not getting the sunlight, the fresh air. Yeah. And I think China's had to cull like hundreds of millions of pigs uh, in the last few years for controlling disease. It it'd be better I think if we like make smaller farms and so give each animal enough space to live a healthier life. Um, yeah, sure. So our our meat consumption like on average per day, could go down maybe half and we'd be healthier actually if we eat less meat. So that's an easy fix, like easy choice to make individually and as a society.
1: It seems that the COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated other pandemics and other inequalities in our system, like how our seniors are treated. How migrant workers are treated. Have you noticed the pandemic highlighting any inequality that was in our community, and our society before in the before times?
2: Um, yeah. So the impact of COVID on seniors is pretty significant because a lot of them live alone, like like my dad is just by himself. And he's really had to cut down on a number of social interactions, gatherings with friends. And this has been for like a whole year. This has never happened before. So I guess with family not being to visit as often, their mental stimulation really slides. And they sort of go into a sort of like sort of a hibernation loop kind of thing.
1: I I really Um, identify with what you you mentioned there about mm -hmm. the stimulation. I found that since the starting doing these interviews for the pandemic show, I feel more mentally stimulated and Mm -hmm. um, alert and awake, despite the pandemic fog. Before I was doing all these interviews, talking to people, learning how to do the technology to get them out to people to unite humanity. I wasn't getting these types of deep conversations. And it's interesting in these times of isolation, how technology can support us in having some some positive social interaction with others.
2: Right. And We have to remember like some remote areas don't have full uh, bandwidth coverage for video calls yet. so... So the inequity in internet
1: access is something that the pandemic is highlighting the need to address. Right, right. So that's a federal obligation. I know in season one, we spoke with Eric Jeffrey, whose family had been in the North Sudanese desert a year ago and had come back into cartoon and the pandemic had kind of shut everything down. They eventually made their way back to New Zealand and they were able to gather and live worry-free. Kids could go to birthday parties. But even New Zealand, an island nation, has had flare-ups as the pandemic has evolved in times past. Australia, similarly. It's interesting how some of these remote places that you think could be protected by geography, they're even impacted by it. I know in Ontario in the last month or two, especially in the winter, there's been more of a talk of trying to restrict travel and having people isolate when they come back from travel. And as I think about it, I wonder why we didn't do more of that at the beginning. I know when we talked to Meg Lowe's who moved from Ontario to Australia last July, we talked to her while she was in a mandated, government mandated two week quarantine. So some jurisdictions have had a lot more stringent measures than others. And I feel like in Ontario, it seems like the government could have done more, but chose not to.
2: Right now, the COVID quarantining hotel situation isn't helping. Um, There's been lots of issues with people getting their food. Yeah, so that's on... It was implemented late and, Mm -hmm. and implemented shoddily. Yeah, for sure. It was disorganized.
1: How do you think the economy... Let's switch to the economy for a minute. How do you think the economy has been affected by the pandemic? And how do you think the economy will evolve as we move into the vaccination stage of the pandemic?
2: So the government has been helping the large corporations a lot more than the little guys, I think. It seems there's lots of budget spending from large corporations to take advantage of the market conditions right now. And some of their restrictions like allow large big box stores to stay open while the smaller grocery stores have to close. Independent businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of strange because you have uh, more transmission when you gather hundreds of people together in one store rather than like five at a time or 10 at a time. That's
1: a powerful observation because Mm -hmm. when you, I try to avoid the big box stores, but when you go to one, you notice that there's lineups everywhere and they have arrows in some of them to tell you which way to go, but it doesn't seem that there's compliance with the arrow system. Yeah.
2: um, for the arrows, I think if you're the only one in the aisle, then it doesn't really make a difference. It's sort of like who who gets in the aisle first, and then they'll set the direction. Sort of like you like lane swims. That's sort of what happens if there's no signage. That was an interesting observation. How you, how you outlined how it seems that large corporations are
1: getting more support
0: mm-hmm. than
1: this independent players. And one place that I've noticed that, and it's really made me angry is the subsidies the government gave to support long-term care facilities. And then the private long-term care facilities turned around and gave increased dividends and payouts to their shareholders.
2: Yeah, that's pretty low for them. And really, I think all of long-term care should be public. It's the same reasoning as like education or health care. Like if you have a two-tier system, then naturally there's going to be inequality in the two system and if you're extracting profit from one group then their quality is going to go down and we, when we see that in the health results if you compare the for-profit long-term care homes and the government-run public long-term care homes
1: how do you think the economy and society is going to evolve With the current political players, like you look at Ontario, we have a government, even during the pandemic, they've been moving forward with plans to deregulate and privatize. The conservation authorities have been deregulated so they can to allow for more development on environmentally sensitive wetlands and farmland. It doesn't seem that the current players in politics are really interested in making positive social change on a on a major level. Mm -hmm do you think anything's going to change? I wonder who the new players will be after we move through the pandemic. My sense is that people realize the shortcomings of our current government, provincially and federally here, and they're looking for something new. Do you think there will be significant change?
2: Well, um, we need to get the numbers of young people voting up. That's the most direct way and easiest way to affect political change. And And really think about the... Th- Third option, like the NDP, has not been tried and on a large scale before. Why not go with somebody who's not a proven, you know, corporate stand-in? That's an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah. Do you know? Do you think there's going to be any dem significant changes as a result of changing demographics?
2: I, I sure hope so. Like as the the boomers retire out, that'll create a need for workers. And drawing the younger generation in. Yeah, I, I really hope that their voices are able to push for their own, you know, benefit when you, it reaches a tipping point of a uh, proportion of young people in the workplace.
1: What do you think will happen when there's more, when the younger generation
2: advances in the labour market? I think to balance things out, the work culture has to change. Maybe the nine-to-five mentality is not the right way to go for uh, Going forward, like people have different needs now that we have a large proportion of people who get better from COVID still have uh, lingering effects. The there have been like neurological symptoms, fatigue, that sort of thing. So that doesn't really fit in well with a regulated nine to five schedule. And we've seen with this remote working that it can be done and at at sort of broken down time slots through the day. So I think that should be an option going forward for a lot of workplaces.
1: And the lingering health effects of people that have survived COVID, Mm -hmm. that's something that we still don't know much about. My understanding is that there's an increase, people who've had COVID we're seeing an increase in blood clots. That's a serious health problem in and of itself. So besides neurological and fatigue and blood clots, have you come across anything that outlines some of the longer term effects of COVID?
2: I think lung function has been a pretty significant symptom, but the severity varies from person to person. So, I think we'll need to see some studies come out to see if anything can be uh done for them to, you know, replace some of their lost lung capacity, make it easier for them to to breathe. Yeah.
1: After the vaccinations, hopefully COVID settles down, what are you looking forward to doing in the aftertimes that you've been prevented from doing? During this pandemic.
2: I think a vacation would be nice. We were supposed to go scuba diving last April. That got cancelled again this year. So pushed push back the flight credits to 2022. So we'll see if we can make it for that date. I'm excited to go to concerts.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to go to indoor concerts. I'm, I'm excited to dance. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Michael, for your time today. It's been insightful talking to someone with a systems perspective on this. And I hope, I hope we come together. I hope people come together and new ideas. We take some risks as a society on some new ideas in a new direction, because it seems that the direction we are going for the, before the pandemic has demonstrated some serious shortcomings, and especially mm-hmm. around the privatization of public goods.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for
1: sure. Well, thanks for your time and happy pandemic. Great. Thanks, David.
0: Thanks for listening to The Pandemic Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemyshow.com. Be a part of our community by subscribing to and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemic Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the Pandemic for the People of the Pandemic. Do you have an interesting Pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemyshow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the Pandemic Show.